We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arsenal fans worried as Granit Xhaka may miss the derby, but thankfully, much like Liverpool's test lab, the red was a false positive. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. You have nothing to worry about. You get a, you get a result. It's just a false result. Liverpool's test, false positive. Oh, how could we have known that nobody actually had COVID? In fact, our whole team is fit and ready. We're going to put 37 players on the in the squad for the match day. We're just going to screw up the you know the fixture calendar for everybody in the country just because you know we don't feel like playing a League Cup uh, semifinal first leg. You know, no big deal. Well, you know what? Granite Shaka, red card. No, it's false positive. No, no, it's fine. He can play. Didn't really happen. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? And now Arsenal asking to have the Derby postponed. And you know how this works, right? Didn't have the game opening day postponed, even though we had the best argument for it, maybe if anyone at any at any point. Manfully played all our games. Liverpool cheat the system, get a game postponed. We show up, we play. They send us down a man, we play. We get a result. Now we ask for postponement that we desperately need and desperately deserve, and you know how this works. They're not going to grant us a postponement. In fact, I'm being told the Derby kicks off in 10 minutes. So that's the deal. That's how it works. Anyway, let's talk actual football. We love you for being here. I think there are really good and exciting and fun things to discuss from the game. Maybe look ahead, maybe talk transfers, maybe have a four-hour podcast. You never know with the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. But here with me now is Paul. You can find him on Twitter, pause my pants, hold pause. Woohoo! And Clive, you can find him on Twitter, Clive PSC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Tim did join us for the instant reaction. If you'd like to hear his thoughts over there, we have our Vlavic scouting video up there as well, which I think you will frankly love more than I was expecting. We will have one next week, maybe for Bruno Guimaraes or Arthur Mello. We'll see. It depends on how the rumors go. Um, But that is not the talk for right now. The talk for right now is a game that I think will be difficult to discuss because one of the big talking points is going to be the red card, Granit Xhaka's decision-making and what it did for his teammates. But I don't want to start with that because I think that there was a heroic team performance here that deserves praise and deserves the priority treatment. Before I even get to that, though, Paul, let's just start with the tribalism. How did you feel when Liverpool were able to fill their lineup uh, with basically every player that is not off at the African Cup of Nations, including 
some of their past great players who came back in their prime, much like when you get a card in FIFA for a past uh, great player. Um, you know, I, I thought that was really, really interesting, and I just feel really good for them that they've had such good luck with their health. Um, look, it's just kind of what I expect. Uh, like, isn't this the way the world works? Um, on our side of it, I say we are so due and I think we'll get what we want this weekend. Just my personal opinion, we're due. Everybody can see we're due. Uh, Liverpool were abusing the system. Um, I mean, they kind of have previous, I remember something about inhalers and steroids and stuff, but I'm not going to get into that because that's speculative. But, like, they're pretty creative on a number of things along the way and a little dodgy. Um, I mean... I'd even throw in the Luis Suarez transfer where yeah, yep. uh, they w they had no legal right to do what they did, but they also decided by the time we got that resolved uh, contractually and could prove that we, uh, that, that Suarez could prove that he had the right to and that we had the right to, it would be too late. I mean, they just, they play dirty pool, so be it. Um, I do think it's a little different for them and us. They got a different problem than, than us. They're trying to stay uh, in the league, uh, contending for top spot against City, and that that colors their view and all of their actions. And outside of that, they don't give a crap, and so they'll do whatever they need to do. On our side, we're honest, Joe. Um, we've a young team. You don't want to get too kind of cynical at this point in terms of how you play your cards so we've been honest joe we'll play when we can blah 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 but we've now reached a point where look anybody who's at all right-minded can see we uh, we're in a bad spot and we've earned this where others were playing games uh playing politics uh jockeying for position uh, liverpool wise against city to make sure they didn't kind of take another hit along the way um and uh, I think it's a beautiful thing that we went to Anfield. And, you know, there is, there is, it does feel like there's a bit of a rivalry on a personal level building between Liverpool and ourselves, which I think would be a great thing if we can peg them back over the next year or two. Arteta versus Klopp, uh, Arsenal supporters against Liverpool supporters. We've kind of been. The last few years, obviously, they've been way ahead of us in terms of their performance, their levels, where they are in the league. But over the last decade, decade and a half, there's been a lot of equivalence in situation in terms of the big uh, six clubs. There's the most equivalence in terms of the the ownership, the model, all that kind of stuff. They've done it better than us, but maybe we're on the way back up. Um, and hopefully this is the start of a beautiful rivalry. And by beautiful, I mean vindictive, unpleasant, needly, because we're earning it, because we're good enough, because we can stand toe-to-toe. -to -toe. And I know we're going to talk about our brave performance later on, but actually uh, leading up to the big incident, whose name shall not be mentioned right now, we had a good 10 minutes. I mean, the reason that came about was because it was one of our best attacking moves, and we were playing some good football here. I don't know how it might have turned out with 11 lads on the pitch, not necessarily better, but we were playing some good football here. We came to play. We didn't do anything defensive. We didn't do anything weird and wonderful because we weren't willing to play our football against these guys. Um, so, like, 
I'd like to think we're at the point where we're actually turning this back into a real rivalry home in a way. And so it sets up well for the next leg. Yeah, I, I would say, and I agree with you on this point, what we're starting to see from Arsenal now is I feel like we go in every game and play our football the way we play our football. Um, once we went down to 10 minutes, it was a different story. But against City, against Liverpool to start this game, we played the way we play. And I think that's a really good sign of the increase in quality, the increase in confidence, that we know what we're doing and we know what we're doing can bear fruit, that can, can bring us a result. You know, Liverpool, I think the problem, right, is like we talk about well-run clubs. I think well-run clubs have an, an absolute maniacal focus on edge plus expected value. What things can we do that give us an edge, that give us plus expected value versus other behaviors or other things people do? And the problem with clubs like that is that sometimes I think you see them extend that outside the boundaries of the rules. There is a team in the NFL called the New England Patriots. And I think everyone would have to agree, grudgingly, despite some despicable things about the New England Patriots, they're a very well-run NFL team. But the New England Patriots will find an edge any way they can, including cheating. They've been caught cheating twice. Once deflating footballs to gain an edge in a cold weather game. And once spying on the training of a team they were getting ready to play. That is cheating. In their minds, like, oh, we're just trying to find an edge. And I think these teams genuinely think that cheating is finding an edge. And I think Liverpool thought they found an edge that could get them out of a game, manipulate the system to give them an edge. And they don't get that it's cheating. But it is cheating. It is lying. It is cheating. It is unethical. And I think we have to be very clear that it is not clever or smart or plus EV to cheat. It's just cheating. And the precedent they've set, unfortunately, is for other clubs to now try to more liberally abuse their right, really, to have games moved. And everybody from fans to clubs suffer because games will be rearranged and postponed and travel will be ruined. And, you know, I'm sure for a derby there, you know, who cares about Spurs fans, right? But I'm sure there are Spurs fans from around the world that will have traveled to see this game Sunday who now may not get to see it, which may in part be a knock-on effect from our rearranged cup tie because of Liverpool's cheating. So there are dominoes that fall here. I, I don't want to get too much on my high horse, he says, climbing down off a very high horse, but it is... It is unfortunate, and it should not be praised as some sort of clever manipulation of the system. And I think we will now see the ramifications from it. And Clive, I, I do want to switch gears, if you're okay, to the actual performance, though, because that is yeah. that is the focus of the post-match podcast, as we still call ourselves for some reason, even though we do them whether they're matches or not. Um, I think I want to start more with the collective performance that we saw following the red card. And one thing that I think sometimes we do is we fixate on soft factors because they're fun to talk about. They feel good. Collectivism, um, courage, bravery, spirit. And we showed all that. But I think sometimes that actually takes our eye away from the more important thing, which is talent. Do I think we get this result with Socrates and Mustafi or even David Luiz? I'm not sure I do. Do I think we get this result with Kolasinac at left back? You know, or or maybe even, I mean, I was going to say Leno and goal. That wasn't Ramsdale's best day in some respects. I don't know that we do. And so I think we should praise the talent. I think Benjamin White was man of the match. And he was man of the match next to Gabriel Magalhaes. And that center back pairing is much more talented than other pairings we've had in the back, in, in the past. And when we come on to Shaka, I'm actually going to talk about a Louise comparison because I think it's, it's apt here. But do you think that we should in the midst of praising the, the bravery and courage and spirit that we showed, also take a moment to applaud the talent we've collected at the back because sometimes it's harder to see that than the players racing in and scoring goals. But these are some talented defenders, especially at the center of our defense. 
No, I, I think so. <laughs> but I think it's in, it's 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 hard to sometimes for fans to recognise talent, and 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 so hard for me too, right? But some I'm getting better at it, and it's little things you can you can see. And I remember the Ben White, for example. I watched the Chelsea preseason game, and I looked at him in that game. I looked at him heading the ball, but more importantly, I looked at his feet and I thought, wow, he's quick across the ground. He's backing into play. He heads it and he gets up his line really quickly. I thought, wow, you, you look like a nice player. How are you seen him for a little while? And then in the very first league game, he played against Ivan Tony and he got moved all around the place. Right? So, and people thought, what have we got here? We've got a problem. £50 million down the drain. May night just bought Varane. Real. Everyone's having deep sides. Right, so, but I just remembered that first game. I thought, nah, he'll be fine. He just needs to settle. And now he's had the game, the Cape game, the Superman game. He's had that game, and now people will now say, okay, you're now a defender. And I think sometimes we wait for that big moment. And you know, football has changed from a few years ago when everything revolved around the midfield and our defenders weren't great on the ball. You mean Sol Campbell, how would he survive in today's game? I'm not so sure. Defensively, unbelievable. You give him the ball, you'd be like, you'd be behind the set E because you'll get pressed off it. The game has changed. These guys at the back now need to be midfielders. Simple as that. And we expect them to progress the ball. Line splitting passes, carries, switches. That's what we expect. We've all we've all changed how we look at the game. You can't just let your centre backs have it. Right? So um and I I love what they're doing on ball progression. Stability of Tommy Asu in particular, which we've spoke about before. But I was pleased to Ben White in this game because I think he showed leadership. And Ellie, you know my thoughts. I actually, you know, I think he could be the captain next season. You know, I, I can really see that developing. Um, him or Tierney wouldn't bother me. One plays more games than the other, so I sort of tend to go towards Ben White. And I think he's, you know, I think it's important they're both in the captain's group, shall we say? But um, yeah, I, I, I really see a player developing into leadership. Gabriel, I think people are. I mean, I like that type of defender. I think he needs a little bit of coaching to say you don't have to win everything. Do you know what I mean? Um, but that's just a, a balancing. And, and Kiratini is just coolly and quietly and calmly becoming the player Paul said he would become when he first signed, right? Which is Paul did pick. A, we, we I don't know if anyone remembers this, but we did an episode during the pandemic layoff, and we were trying to pick our eleven. We did a best eleven draft of the post Invincible era, and Paul went for Tierney, and we'd had him for like what would you say, Paul? Th three months, four months? I think three yeah, weeks. Well, it was after he'd been out injured. <laughs> yeah, and, and he'd been out injured, and everyone was like, "What is you're picking him over? You know, name your left back, but." To your credit, yeah. <laughs> I was I, mocked and ridiculed on that. Right, that rightly so, but not for that. By <laughs> you and Silberto. No, but I was cool. I was cool, wasn't I, Paul? Yeah. I didn't say you anything. were all right, Clive. The other yeah. two, utter bastards. <laughs> and so we, but again, we got we got a group there that's going to grow up together, and so that's quite nice. The goalkeeper, I thought, was a little bit dodgy last night, but not to worry about that. But again, they're going to grow together, going to make mistakes together, and they're going to go through these experiences. So. For me, the team has been transformed by that back five completely, and that's allowing us to compete for longer going forward. And obviously, last night we showed what we can do on the back foot. Yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> well, Paul, let, let me stay with you for that for a second. I, I think 
it, it is interesting <clears throat> watching a team defend that seems to sort of enjoy it. And the defense is a, a big, a big part of it. But you know, you look at what the shifts like Martinelli and Saka put in, and I think what really impresses me about what they did is they get. I'm not going to say they gave us a lot of threat because that would be overstating it, but they gave us just enough. Martinelli could carry it out of defense even when he was dead tired and could barely keep the ball at his feet. Saka, gosh, his ability to hold it up, turn a man, and create an attack all by himself when we need to to open the pressure valve is so, so valuable. And then for them to drop in and do the work defensively, I mean, I think Martinelli was tied for the most tackles in the team. How important do you think their two-way ability to to drop in and do the defensive work but still create sort of like one-man attacks that relieve the pressure word to, to coming away with the result. Yeah, and Lacazette. I mean, those three defended, I don't know if you could even say from the front, um, like they were just, they gave everything for the whole game. This whole suffering together thing has a lot going for it. And like, you know you're part of the team when you go through that. Like, the the feeling they will have had at the end of this game is like winning a... A, a, a cup like winning the league. I mean, the the level of euphoria. It, it's through going through the shit together that you build the relationships. Um, and so, like, this is a huge game. I think for that collective going forward, for that Martinelli, in some ways, always felt like he came into the team as kind of this special project, his family project, his career, etc. And, and like these experiences now for him, now that he's starting regularly, now he's out there, now that he's bleeding with the team for 90 minutes, not just about Martinelli goal scoring, Martinelli with the, the skills, the flicks. This was Martinelli saying, screw all that shit. Uh, I'm going to lay it all out here. Same with Saka, same with Lacazette, um, just giving it all. And like you got 10 guys on that pitch, sadly. Um and like everybody's just given everything, and like there's there's no other way to get that 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 click within a team, that that shared uh, suffering, that shared uh, collective energy that hopefully they can bring forward. So like I think you can talk about skill, etc., uh, and talent, but like we also had players on the pitch that were not the most super talented of our defenders and so and we had our look and you need that and you earn that um on the other hand they had their look right Saka gets his moment under control just a little bit of a better touch um not Mm. that it was easy to to control that ball in from Tierney onto his kind of his near side foot um and they're in a whole lot of uh, of hurt and pain so there was a little look on both sides we had our look but you always get that in a game like this but in some ways, that feeds it. Like we we saw the Ben White moment. He wasn't there, kind of kind of holding himself, shaking. He was kind of laughing at uh, Minamino when he when he missed the the um, debatably open open goal. And like that's all part of it too. So like, if I could pay money, I'd probably pay money to be in that group at the end of this session in the showers naked showering, swapping soap with the lads, laughing. Beautifully yeah. manscaped, obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, no, no, not yeah, in my I'm case. Gonna, I'd, be the, one, okay. I'd be the one who wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Be her suit. Um, well, yeah, all that 
all that is good stuff, minus the, the last little bit on the end, obviously. And Clive, it it is um it is sort of ironic, I think, in a way that we saw. I mean, I'm gonna say arguably the worst performance from Ramsdale and realize that still doesn't make it that bad, but like he if if we were gonna concede, it looked for a moment there like it it may have come from one of his misadventures. He he did sort of joke about it after the game, and I, I think it's good that he didn't get punished for it because it would have been very cruel given the season he's having where he's been basically flawless. Um, you know, one of, one of the players that I think we're obviously going to need a lot right now and who there may have been questions around is Sambi. He, he is someone who played at Anfield. I think his last start was Newcastle, but he played at Anfield in the league and we played pretty well. And then he sort of fell apart after the, after halftime made some errors, could argue he cost us the game in some respects. And he did start against Newcastle, but then Shaka come back. And we hadn't really seen him since, except against Forrest with Charlie Patino, and we know how that went. I think this was a big character moment for Sambi because you're starting in the place where you had your last meltdown and you're standing next to Granite Shaka. So you have that, that security and that, that certainty, that ability to maybe play your game a bit more. And then he goes off. And now you have to stand in the middle of the park, sort of by yourself. And and help marshal a defense for seventy minutes or so, and I thought he did it really well. And I, I'm curious what you think. I mean, again, we I think we passed at forty eight percent, our lowest on record. Um, and I realized that we, you know, did not have much of the ball. But he had to do a job today that I think a lot of people, or yesterday that I think a lot of people would have said is the kind of job that doesn't suit him as a player. So do you think it's a big character moment for him, and maybe a bit of I, I hate to use redemption arcs, but a, a bit of a redemption arc from his last visit to Anfield? Yeah, maybe. Different game, different scenario. But I think if you can go to Anfield and do okay, you look around the league and you think, well, how many more difficult places than Anfield is there? You know, it's a major moment for him. I think we signed him, you know, obviously he's, he's uh, mature beyond his years. Belgium League comes into our team, plays way more than we thought he would do. Don't forget, remember Backup FC when we signed him? Way more than we thought. Party goes down, Shaka gets injured, and all of a sudden we have a player that we have to rely on. And he did really, really well. Sometimes as a young player, you're just doing well without knowing how, why you're doing well. And when he got questioned at Anfield, he had, to, he had to come out. And what I liked about this performance, and sometimes what you get when you overexpose young people, is you get them to develop leadership skills. And he suddenly finds himself in the midfield with two young 20-year-old wingers. And he was the senior guy. And suddenly he's having to talk, shuffle, point, click, move it, get it, head it, do all the dirty stuff that probably what he didn't sign him for. He looked like a young playmaker, gets on the ball, six round eight, nice passes, nice little carries, the odd shot, the edge of the area. Very nice. Suddenly you're at Anfield, sleeves rolled up with everyone flying crosses at you and trying to run through you, little one-twos. You've got to do all that stuff, get close to your centre-backs. Distance is really important. And so we find another layer to this player. We find another layer to Martelli, same for Saka. And I think this is a challenge for us as fans to um, to know what building a player looks like and say, well, actually, this day he's learned something. And we might find in a very short period of time we could be in a situation at Spurs where we're going to need him to do something similar. You just never know. But now he's had experience enough doing it before. He's a player that's very interesting, very promising, but he is a promising player. We have to remember this. There are still, there's still a way for him to go. 
Thomas Party was getting criticised the other day. He is 28 years of age, and he still people still feel he's got things to learn. This kid is 21, 22. So his best days are so far ahead, and it's just going to be really great to watch him. Has all the skill sets for the Premier League. A couple of bench presses away from being strong enough. It isn't, it isn't a problem with him. He's got the talent, the personality. I was a bit worried about a slight dip in confidence. But hey, look, we've, we've watched our £300,000 week centre forward at 32 have dips in confidence. It happens to all of us, right? So we found him again. And we found him again just in time because we are not stacked with midfielders, shall we say. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, well, that's to say the least. <clears throat> and whether we go ahead and do something about that soon, we'll see. Paul, before we get on to some of the key incidents, and namely the sending off, one of the things the sending off did is it triggered us switching to a back three. And the Cedric injury also triggered us switching to Callum Chambers, which I thought was a big help too. The funny thing is I don't think Cedric wanted, wanted any part of this game, to be fair. Um I'm sort of curious if you think that maybe he should have started with the back three. I mean, there was some suggestion that that's what we should have done anyway. And we saw that it worked, but it worked in a game where we really had to just bunker in. I I like personally that we started with our system and tried to play our football. We'll never know how that would have played out. But the back three definitely got the job done. And I thought Chambers was key to that. So do you have any thoughts both on maybe Chambers leapfrogging now Cedric, which is the like easiest leapfrog contest in the history of like frogs laugh at how easy that is to jump over, but leapfrogging Cedric and then the, the move to a back three and as maybe something we, we could have started with. Um, like it, it seems regression to go back to a back three. If you don't have to, um, we, we have a way of playing at the moment. We have a confidence. I think we got a bit rattled as supporters because, um, of the uh, the the cup game uh, that we just lost, and I don't think that's necessarily how the players see it. I think they look around the dressing room and say, "Well, if we're putting out our first team, our strongest team, uh, we back ourselves." And I think you know it's a, it's a statement of confidence that we went out here and we, uh, even though it's a little bit weakened as a team, we decided we decided we'll go to Anfield. Uh, we'll play our football. And as I say, uh, the first 10 minutes or so was a little dicey. We still had our moments of pressing and pressure, um, but it looked like it could be a rough day for us. They were fizzing a few balls across our box. Then after that, we came into our own. Our, our, by my count, my rough field tilt analysis, around the 15-minute mark, we started actually kind of putting pressure on them, spending time in their in, a, in our attacking third. Um, and we had a good 10 minutes leading into the incident. So we came to play football, and I think we should. I think it's a, it's a statement. You, you can't go backwards, and unless there's an extraordinarily good reason to play three, three five of the back, you don't do that because you're basically kind of waving a white flag. You're saying, no, the gap's too big. Um, it's too big a jump, and we don't believe in our way of playing, and I don't think you can do that. So yeah. I was pretty happy with our approach. Um, I mean, you take your lumps, and it, you know it's a cup game at the end of the day. It's not, it's not our our hopes. So you should play the cup the way you want to, you way, the way you want to play football. So I'm glad we did what we did. Yeah, I agree, and I, I, you know, this is the hard thing, <clears throat> Clive. 
bunkering in for 70 minutes with almost no threat going the other way and getting a nil-nil at 10, down to 10 men is not a method of playing that's going to win you leagues or win you champions leagues, right? Like, we know that. You have to play good attacking football, press, recover the ball, create chances, dominate teams. Fine. We've shown we can do that. We showed we can even do that a little bit against Manchester City. But I do think the teams that win leagues and win champions leagues, along the way, produce a result like this in a key spot. They win a Champions League because the second leg away at the at the Bernabeu, having narrowly won at home, they they absorb a ton of pressure and they they get the job done. Or, you know, along the way they have to go to the Etihad with a one point lead in April, you know, one point lead in the table in, in April, and they get a nil-nil gutting it out. And I don't know that Arsenal teams of the recent past have had the quality to do it or the resilience to do it. So while I confess that this kind of performance, I don't connect with it in the sense of it shows us where we're going. I think you put this in your memory for these young players and the way they suffered and the way they got rewarded for it. And I think that bears fruit down the road along the way. So how do you think of a performance like this mattering? Mattering for the camaraderie, for the character building. For, you know, I mean, I, I get that it's not, the way you want to play football to go win big things regularly. But I think you have to have this in your ability to be able to become one of the best teams around. Yeah, so these guys live together every day, didn't they? They train together, they eat together. They, they're away from their families a lot, and they, 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 are, they are like a mini family. You know, When you go into a training ground scenario, that is, that's the feeling you get. There's a family within a within a family if you if you know what i mean and um so those relationships are built upon experiences good ones and bad ones and it's these type of experiences that that really bond you that make you play football you know there's something uh, i'm involved in football and i tell you now guys the how dressing rooms are before a kickoff they're they're electric right they are absolutely electric with tension with what you want to do to getting the messages across, getting people ready to the right mental pitch to play. And then you, after the game, if you have an experience, like obviously the lads had last night at Liverpool, you know, one of the most difficult places to go in world football, and you have an experience against all odds, mate, that must have been rocking in there. That must have been something fantastic to be part of. And that's what builds you. That's what builds a team. And then you add layers onto that, you create a, a culture, you create standards, you add people into that, and they have to adhere to it, and it gets better. They might bring something of themselves that improves it. That's how you grow something. When you're, uh, We've been talking about this for a while, and we have different opinions around soft factors and culture and things like that. But I feel strongly about this, that if you bring good people into a bad culture, you lose those people. They become infected. If you bring good people into this group, I think we're going to see a continuation. And so that's why the next steps are really, really important, so we can grow this. And you flip it onto another scenario where we're all watching. We're all watching this go on. we got clips of people fist-pumping and high-fiving each other and, and saying this is what we do at the end of the game, and we all watch it. We watch how the manager interacts. We watch every single frame we can possibly get our eyes on, and we absorb it. And how do you feel watching this? You can sense the unity. You can sense what's going on in the crowd. The crowd at Arsenal is becoming younger, more diverse. It's just becoming 
a mirror of society. I don't know what's going on. You know, it's just it's just different. And um, and so yeah, it, it's all happening at the same time. Our team is becoming younger. It's becoming it's just full of ambition and full of future potential. And uh, I, I just really love what we're seeing, right? So a very good growth day, a benchmark day, something you can refer to as a player and as a coach, as you communicate and as a group. And yeah, let's see what happens in the second leg, right? So hopefully it's not wasted. But I do think a lot was gained by that performance and how it, and how it happened, shall we say. Mm, yeah, that that's well said. I I am really... <laughs> one of these terrible people who struggles to enjoy good defensive performances. And even I have to admit, I found this riveting. I found it exhilarating. I was thrilled for them. And it it is hard to remember sometimes that it's the first leg of the tie. And so there's still work to be done. But I think there's so much that can be taken from this. And I think when you look at the ages of players, sometimes performances and, and results carry more reward than they might otherwise. If this was a team of 29 and 30-year-old players, they've been there before, they've seen everything before, gutting out a nil-nil in a a League Cup semifinal might not do much for them. But for Martinelli, who ran himself into the ground, literally, like, could not move at full time. For, um, you know, for, for Saka, who was just extraordinary at both ends, and I think a little unlucky almost not to win it, certainly became a leader again on the pitch there, giving us that out when we had no other out. Um, You know, for that, the back line, especially Benjamin White, again, announcing himself and saying, I'm actually a defender. Don't overlook that part of me. I don't know. I I just think that this, this can mean a lot. And for Sambi Lakanga, getting rid of some of the ghosts, the demons of Anfield for himself and, and putting in a performance that shows the kind of graft that maybe, he would not be considered to have. So I, I'm, I was exhilarated by this. I think it's great. We, we have to sort of turn our attention a little bit to the Shaka thing. I don't want to over egg it, but I think it, <clears throat> it merits a discussion for obvious reasons. And so we'll, we'll come at it from a few different angles and then maybe we can look ahead to whether the Derby will happen, what should happen in the Derby. And we can save transfer talk. I think for another time, although maybe the Arthur Mello conversation will come up with respect to the Derby. But if we're talking transfers and we're talking incoming business, I think it is important to note that Arsenal are short on talent right now. We do need talent. And as you know, if you need talent, there's only one place to look. If you don't have the right players on the pitch, if you need the right players with the right skill, you need Indeed. Indeed is a fast, simple way to make sure you're hiring the best players, the best talent. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is a hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. It's like, it's like a football manager were real and for talent, and for your business. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements, or else you don't pay. You want a 100-goal striker? He only gives you 20? Don't pay. doesn't work. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with all the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. Even more important these days, right? With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description. So if your job description is central midfielder who doesn't lose his head in key moments, that's what you get. And you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. Indeed makes it easy to hire great talent. According to Comscore, Indeed is the number one job site worldwide. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post 
at indeed.com slash blue wire. Offer valid through March 31st. Go to indeed.com slash blue wire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need indeed. Clive, is that enough of that? Yeah, well delivered. Very smooth. Very smooth. Clive, Clive, what's the name of the sponsor? Indeed. Okay. Clive, is that enough of that? Indeed. Ah, there it is. <laughs> Set you up perfect, right? <laughs> right? Okay. All right. Now we got it. We'll fix that in post. I kid. We will not fix that in post. Paul, <clears throat> Granite mm-hmm. Shaka. Yeah. I want to talk to you about the moment just before the Granite Shaka thing, though, because I think it's interesting. We're not talking a lot about Eddie and Ketty, and I think Eddie and Ketty looked really disappointed to have his night end early. He's not going to get a lot of chances to play, I don't think, and this was a chance to play and impress on a big stage at a big place. I think he was really up for it, but he had an edge about him, and I got to say, Bukayo Saka, I think actually Granit Shaka starts building play. You can correct me if I'm wrong, because I, 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 I'm sure you've seen it again, um, but Saka does brilliantly, and and Kenny is racing into the box and demands the ball from Saka. I want it right here. This is where I want it. And Saka puts it right there between two defenders on a plate, and, and Kenny makes a meal of it. Does not do well with it at all. And it is from that very meal that the next meal is served, and that is the long ball over the top to Jota that leads to the red card. So before we just get on to the red card, do you see it the same way? Do you think that, that Nketiah maybe let himself down there and that actually we had a pretty good attack brewing that by screwing it up leads to what becomes the moment of the match? Um, well, look, I think it's a little harsh on the Eddie in the box moment, uh, but I'd also remind you that it was Eddie's uh, killer ball out of midfield that puts Saka up the pitch. So yeah, that's fair. Mm-hmm. The, the Lord giveth, or in this case, Eddie, Eddie giveth, and Eddie maybe taketh away a little bit. I mean, if I saw different angles, maybe I'd agree with you on the on the box thing. I just I, I've seen that ball fizz through a box many times for many different teams. I think it's easier said than done. There's a lot of things going on. I don't know. Maybe you're right. But uh, uh, I I thought he was clever on the build-up. And uh, on your point about his disappointment coming off, I thought it was interesting that Lacazette got over to him quick and pulled up his his, uh, turtleneck uh, and muffled into it something to Eddie, which I assume was something like, Look, kid, I know you're really disappointed, but but uh, stand up tall as you walk off and mm. kind of don't, you know, don't make this about you in brackets, basically. Um, and Eddie kind of stiffened his spine and walked off. He was obviously clearly gutted to be going off, but there you go. Yeah. <clears throat> I yeah, I mean, it is what it is. So then... I mean, I do... I'm looking at it now. I think Eddie... Like, Eddie's on the stretch. I mean... Mm. Like, like, <sighs> Only Maybe Charlie Pitino would have put that he, one in. He's if calling you look at, for it so clearly. Yeah, yeah. if you look at it, I, I looked at this last night, and I, I, I tell you what, there's something about Eddie, right? He seduces you by how he looks, how he moves. And when you see him running into space, you you, 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 want, you, want, to, you want to give him the ball, right? You want to give him the ball. And he asked that ball clearly without really having a running lane or a passing lane to receive it. And he runs into it and he almost blocks the area. And he gets his, he's on the stretch. He's on the absolute limit. So his stride pattern's not quite connected with the pace of the pass. So he only, it has to be a first time shot. He literally just about gets there. It's almost like, I know you wanted that ball, but sometimes you, you know, if I was speaking to him, I would say, Mm -hmm. you sometimes need to make a run to distract for others 
that may be in a slightly better position. I know you want to show us what you got, but you ran into the absolute area that we needed to pass through. Mm. And actually there were players behind you that we could have got to if if you weren't there. And that sounds that's how I remembered it when I watched it live. And that's I, just a that what do you think? I mean, Clive, uh, do you think I'm right, Paul? Firstly, do you think I'm right? What do you think? Well, I think he's like absolute on the max for a stretch, and it's his yeah. left foot. So I um, wouldn't be expecting huge things. I think the other thing is, uh, and this is what I'd love to get your opinion on: like Saka's ball isn't perfect, and I often think we think we over-engineered these situations as fans. I think they put the ball into good good spots good positions but the, like none of them have it down to the inch it's like Saka's like there's a good spot to put the ball in Eddie makes his run it's just slightly off and like in another situation Saka's ball is a little closer and we say oh that's he that's a perfect cross there and he's like he did the same thing in both situations it's just there's a margin of error there they put it into a good good zone mm-hmm. and they hope the other player can make the run and they hope it connects. And sometimes it looks like genius, and sometimes it looks like, oh, that's a terrible ball. And it's basically they're doing the same thing. You know what I mean? My yeah. message, my message to him with would be: sometimes run to distract, not just run to receive it for yourself. If you know what I mean? Yeah. I think he's he's a good mover. He attracts people to him. So there are times we need to know when to distract for others. And but he's a young player, really trying to impress. So put the two together. Which, what are you going to get? Well, someone who's confident in their, in their ability, they've got a track record, a CV, they've got loads of cash in the bank. Yeah, I could do some distraction running. But actually, it's a it's something that I think he needs to learn. And that, by the way, he's a young player that's not had too many minutes at the top level. No drama there, just slightly got it wrong. Okay, so let, let's do this. Let's handle the red card now. And... I, I want to do a few things. I want to set some details of this. The red card was for denial of a goal-scoring opportunity, not for violent conduct. So the operative question is whether it was a denial of a clear goal-scoring opportunity. We'll get to that in a moment. It carries a one-game suspension, but because it is his second red card, it will carry a two-game suspension. Um, I just want to do a straw poll really quickly. I don't want you to add any opinion at all. One word, Paul. Did you think it was a red, yes or no? Yes. Okay, Clive, did you think it was a red? And Again, we'll, we'll tease this out more in a minute, but did you think it was a red, yes or no, having seen it now a couple times? Clive. Clive. Sorry, sorry, man. I didn't know <laughs> I was yeah. on mute there. Yeah. Did, did I think it was a red car? Yes. Um, it could be. Well, yes. you know my... Okay. You, you know We're going to get into oh. it. We're going to get into okay. it. I just, okay. Yes or sorry. no, binary, you have to give it or don't give it. Do you think it's a red? The suspense is killing me. Well, no, I don't. Okay, right? all right. Well, we'll come don't. back to that. All right, we're gonna, we're gonna we're gonna discuss it. For me, yes, the answer is yes. It's a red. So I will give you my very very quick thing here, which is the I don't think the kick is particularly forceful or violent or anything like that. I think there are some people that are like, well, he's gonna miscontrol it. What I would say to you is, if I am trying to chest down a ball, and someone swings their foot at my torso and makes contact with my torso, that is foul play that interferes with my ability to have the chest control I am looking to make when I am in on goal with nothing but the keeper to beat. If there is no Granite Shack there, if Shaka decides not to take the acrobatic approach to try to clear that, just runs with him, well, now Diogo Jota has an easier ability to control it on his chest because he doesn't have a foot swinging at him. He doesn't have to adjust for that intervention. So 
I don't think you can pull the two things apart. And I think Andrew from, from the Arscast, I think Arsbug does the best at analyzing this stuff in the very simple sense of if the shoe's on the other foot, do I want it given? And I think there is no doubt I'd want it given. And I think the problem with whataboutism is when we start doing things like, well, in this time it wasn't given or in this time it wasn't given, I there's always wrong calls. I think this is the right call. Now, let's say you don't think it is the right call. I'm sympathetic to that view. What I would say is I don't think, and I think we'd all agree on this podcast, even if you think he doesn't have to give it, I don't think any of us would put this in the category of injustice. So Clive, and I don't want to get stuck in too much to whether it's a red or not. I want to talk more about the ramifications, but do you think that's at least fair that like maybe the ref doesn't have to give it, but I don't think we can cry injustice here. I don't think that no, that is. I, I was more upset about the Gabriel one for me. I thought the referee mishandled that, didn't manage it correctly. And the reasons why I, I said it wasn't a red, and by the way, I think it's more red than not. So I don't I don't really believe that strongly. Yeah, well. It's not a miscarriage of justice. Yeah, I was upset about the, the Gabriel one, right? So I think that that's wrong. But this one I'm not so upset about because I, I want to have a – there's a technical discussion as to why it happened full stop. But you know my views, Elliot, about management of games, right? So that's why I would say that. I, I I like to see football matches that are not ruined by 10 versus 11, attack versus defence for an hour. I mean, we got a result out of it, so we feel slightly entertained. But it was not entertaining in, in, in the true sense of the football world, in a purist world. And I, and I think, you know, how games are managed and, and, the, te- and the framework and the temperature by which they're managed... I think it needs to be reviewed, you know, and that's it, right? And uh, this is not Arsenal specific. This is in general. I don't think we put enough um, emphasis on player safety, right? The, the really strong below the knee tackles. I don't think we put enough emphasis on that. Yet when someone kicks the ball away or stands in front of a referee, we're quick to whip out cards for these, those sort of things. This has been the take, case for ages. I totally agree with you there. Takes that. his shirt off. and well, Where are we going here? We, oh, that's a definite one. Or someone doesn't stand stands in front of a free kick for a little bit long. Get Whip the cards out for this stuff. Yeah, and so player safety for me, things like taking people out in the air and pushing people off the pitch into hoardings and things like that and various tackles over the ball. That's the stuff we need to focus on. And and this sort of stuff is just part of the contest, it's part of the game, it's part of the just you know, Liverpool manipulate the situation brilliantly. We fell into it, didn't quite react appropriately. We overpressed, exposed one of our leaden footing players in wide spaces, and bang, the game's changed. Should that should that happen? So it's a broader discussion. I'm not gonna argue with you strongly yet. that was a yellow or red. I don't care anymore today, but but I think for the for the game, we need to be looking at this a little bit and looking at how this wonderful product in the Premier League is being officiated. And I think there's room to improve in general. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, I mean, I remember when Cesc Fabregas had the spitting thing and you had pundits on English TV saying, spitting is literally the worst thing you can do in the world after having said, you know, Ryan Shawcross is not that type of guy. So, like, I, I think our our calibration has been wrong in this sport for a long time about what we should be protecting. I think denial of a goal scoring opportunity is a slightly different one, right? Because it is, that is a calculation that is more about did the foul play deny someone from having an opportunity to score a goal? Usually I think you'd say one-on-one with the keeper. Now I think Shaka has had some really unfair red cards against him for that. For example, we all remember the, the touchline at the halfway line red card, right? 
that has never been a red ever since then in the history of the game. We saw Aubameyang held back this season when he had spun a defender. I don't remember the game. You guys might. Should have been a red and wasn't. But this, to me, the, the call is available to the referee. So then the question becomes, Paul, I said this on the Instant Reaction pod. The things that bother me about Shaka are the selfish things, the, the rush of blood to the head things, the things he does that I feel are character flaws, personality flaws that don't help the team and are not in the service of the team. So, for example, and I know we, we vehemently disagree on this, and we don't have to relitigate it, but against Leeds, I didn't like what he did because it was an easy game. It was going to be an easy win. He got mixed up. He stomped on a guy out of rage, You know, got away with nothing to it. And I, I, I know we, we, we had the debate about why that was actually okay, but my point is that's the Shaq stuff that bothers me more because I view it as just being a bastard outside the context of football and potentially jeopardizing things for his team. This, at least, is Shaka trying to rescue a situation defensively. This isn't he's just being a jerk. He's just doing something petulant. This was at least... He's tracking back, isolated one-on-one with Jota. Jota's gotten in behind him, and he's trying to do something. Now, what he tries to do is insane in my view, but he tries. So how do you balance the equities there? What, what's your feeling on where this rates in the Shaka scale of, oh my God, how can you do that to us? Um, I think this rates well in the Shaka scale of red cards. <laughs> I think it's a red card. Um I think it's rash and stupid, but it's not a red mist. It's he's not he hasn't lost his mind. Um, it's just a technically bizarre attempt at a clearance, is what it is. <laughs> yeah, he just like him and Luis have a few things in common in terms of their dis, uh, indiscretions, and one of them is they won't just let a guy go. If you're beat, you're beat. Let, you know, let the keeper have his moment. Uh, Ramsdale could easily have come away with this. Jota could have screwed it up all kinds of ways. Or alternatively, we go down a goal. So what? We play with 11 men. Um, Stay on the pitch. Like, I feel like we have this, we almost have reached an accommodation with Chaka as fans, and he's he's torn up that accommodation. It's like, we get it. You'll get a red card each year, and you'll get a penalty each year. And um, until we're going to win the fighting to win the league uh, or the Champions League, that's something we can live with because of the upside of your uh, your contribution to the team. You're generally a good footballer, etc. And I feel like he's torn that up, and he now has a list of not just a red card. There's a re- uh, red. There's getting red for two yellows. He's added dog so uh, the penalty. The own goal is still to come this season. Like it's he's now, putting more quivers in his <laughs> – or more arrows in his quiver. Yeah, well, the Chak attacks that I've talked about has, you know, like there's attacks on the wealth. But once it goes up to 90%, that's not going to work for the – like this just doesn't balance out. It's like – and the weird thing is I feel like he has a better relationship or had and probably still does have a better relationship with the fans this season now than he's had for multiple seasons. I would have expected less issues, less stress on him, more of a a sense that he belongs and that he's valued, etc. All the things I would expect that matter to Granit Xhaka and that he'd have calmed down. So in that sense, maybe this is just an unlucky one. In the, not that he was unlucky in this situation, but just that it's a situation that came about um, that 
you know, we could be on the right path here, but we're on the wrong path. But Chaka will Chaka, I guess, at the end of the day. Um, and think, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, what, no sorry, I, I meant to hit mute when I cleared my throat. And uh, I was just going to say, <laughs> I was just going to say, <laughs> I say like, a little bit last time, I just wanted to expand it because I was not even listening to the instant reaction. But we do have a problem in that left back space, you know, and I, when I say it, it's something that we need to think about collectively. So, on this scenario, did Gabriel need to press so high? Probably not. What was the, what, Gabriel's, what was the Gabriel's way too high. I totally agree yeah. with that. What, I don't know where he's going. What was, was there enough reward there? You know? And then, obviously, Shaka being the responsible guy, Red Adair putting out fires, but he hasn't got the right athleticism to put out fires, finds himself in a situation behind Tierney and Gabriel. You've got Cam Chambers running back in. He's not in the best of physical shape at this moment in time. So he's not going to win races. So Ben White feels he's got to cover him. And suddenly we have a gap on the left-hand side with the wrong person in wide spaces. This is something, this is just a risk management thing defensively. We've got a player in Gabriel who does not lose any races, doesn't lose any physical battles. Leave him in your back door. You know, I don't think there's enough to be gained. However, if we nick the ball high, which I wanted, and then we have two passes and score, I won't be saying any of that. Do you know what I mean? But I then you look at the team, you look at where potentially we can upgrade, and I believe that our centre midfielders should be comfortable in, on the interior and the exterior. We have one that's really comfortable in the interior. He's not so comfortable on the exterior. It's been the case for a long time. We expose that left-hand side exterior much more than we do the right. So upgrade what we're looking for. Somebody can control the ball, retain the ball, but also he's sprinty enough that if he's caught out wide, we all don't dive behind a seti and, and hide our heads, right? And that's where we are. It's very simple football. Sometimes the upgrade opportunity presents itself to you, and you just got you just got to accept it, and you got to take it. Otherwise, we're going to get more of this going forward. Yeah, I, I want to say a couple of things about this. We're going to go a little bit longer on this, but players get put in bad positions at the top level. That's not an excuse to not handle those positions well. I get it. The penalty against Manchester City, he got isolated with a really tricky player in the box. There are other things he can do than get his feet too close together, get squared up, stick a knee in, take it out, pull the shirt. He doesn't have to do those things. I'm not saying it's an easy situation, but he handles it poorly. Was it Burnley last season where he kicked it into our own net off off one of their players? Yeah, Chris Wood, I think it was. Yeah, okay. He's gone to uh, Newcastle. Everybody said Leno gave him a bad pass. And that is true. And yet, at that level, he can take a turn. He can touch it out of danger. He can kick it a million miles. He can do other things besides kick it off Chris Wood into our goal. And we see this time and time and time again in the most high-leverage situations that demand both composure and execution. Granite Shaka does make mistakes. That is not, and I cannot emphasize this strongly enough, that is not saying he doesn't play good passes, he doesn't do good final third entries, he doesn't progress the ball well, he doesn't you know, link play or, or get it up to the left wing well. Players do good things, and I'll give you the best analogy I can. It's David Luiz. David Luiz was a really, really important player for us, and we all said, oh yeah, he gets penalties, he gets reds, but he's so important, we need him. And guess what we did? We bought Benjamin White. Is anybody missing David Luiz now? No. Because we have a player who does a lot of the things David Luiz does, but you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't get sent off. He doesn't give away penalties. He doesn't do dumb things where his brain switches off. Granite Jack is a good player, but he has these flaws and he does cost us. And guess what? We can get a different player. 
We can. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying there are 50 million central midfielders better than him. But we can get a better player. We can move away from him. It will be okay. And what we will get is maybe a player who's not as great as Shaka at some things, but a player who in the high leverage moments does things a little better. The funny thing is in this moment, I think Shaka makes two mistakes. And, and you could say, yeah, but Shaka shouldn't have to be backtracking Jota. He shouldn't have to. But good teams sometimes have players on an island having to execute at this level. I think Shaka does well to track back, but I actually think he starts jogging. He thinks the danger is gone. He doesn't think the pass is on to Jota. And to be fair, it's an extraordinary pass. And then when he realizes he has to switch on again, I think he makes the decision, oh no, I've screwed it, and now I'm going to make this wild acrobatic thing. And like, I do wonder, and, and Paul, I'll ask you about this. We talk about Shaka as a leader. But if you're those players out there, you know you're in for a hell of a fight at Anfield against Liverpool. They're going to put you on the rack, but you're going to go toe-to-toe with them. Now you know you've got to do it for 70 minutes without a man, down a man. At some point, whatever leadership he brings and however much his teammates love him, isn't there a moment where you just start to say, this guy again? Come on, man. We don't want to play down to 10 men for certain. Like, like eventually, do you think whatever leadership benefit you talk about the shack attacks on the pitch, what about in the dressing room, that eventually you do this shit enough, you give away the penalty against City, you kick it into the net against Burnley in a game we were going to win easily, we were under no threat, you you get sent off in Anfield and your players have to run themselves into the ground you know, to keep it nil-nil. Does that eventually undermine whatever goodwill you've built in the dressing room as a leader? Potentially. Um, but here I'd like to unleash my vegetable soup analogy. Um I've made vegetable soup recently for my wife, and she loves it. Now, my wife hates onions. I like onions, but she hates onions. Um, But she loves this vegetable soup. And the vegetable soup is this team we really like at the moment, and the spirit they have, the fight, all of that stuff. And we can look at the performance at Anfield and say, oh, well, that happened without Chaka. But... Everything that happens leading up to that moment when those guys are on the pitch together is the mentality, the togetherness, the spirit of this team. And when Chaka was injured, the one thing that was unique about that was, although he was out for two or three months, normally you have that player away from the team, non-distracting, kind of doing their thing, their rehab, and then they rejoin the team. Well, that's not what Arteta wanted. He wanted... Chaka very much as part of the group, as a leader within that group. Now, my vegetable soup. My wife asks, what's in the soup? I tell her uh, three, four ingredients, including onions. And she's like, well, could you make it without the onions? And I'm like, but you just told me this was the nicest vegetable soup I've ever made. And so, like, when you pull out an ingredient, you will change it and the 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 collective of a group of a team is not the average of the personalities of the team there's something that happens within a group within that leadership now i'm not saying this to consign i fully agree with you we need to grow beyond chaka that we can get a player um that other leaders can can establish themselves within the group that we can bring in a new midfielder who's also a leader like, we're not stuck with this guy, but we are stuck with this guy till the end of the season. And so 
we need to find a new accommodation. Arteta and the team may need to make their choices. Uh, we may bring in a new and talented midfield midfielder this January. We may have to wait till the summer till we get the the eventual replacement. But he's doing like we like this vegetable soup. In fact, we love it. This team, this spirit, everything they've got. We may may not fully understand how they can put up with Chaka doing this dumb shit. What what seems week in week out dropping them in it, but on the other hand, we love the vegetable soup, and he's the onions. Unfortunately, the onions happen to be peeing in the soup once a week at the moment, and need to cut that stuff out. But we love the soup, and he's the onions. So until we get to the summer, there's going to be onions in our soup. But we love the soup. Mm. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think we're becoming almost defined by this form of stupidity and um and indiscipline and i think sometimes you just have to change something to change it and i don't think his can change i don't always think it's his fault it's just how he's perceived so it's, it's becoming beyond a talent discussion it's becoming a reputation discussion Mm. And I'm not sure his reputation can survive the English game. There was a there was a time back in the day when Patrick Vieira was felt the same. People thought he couldn't survive it, and I can't say he changed, but I think people appreciate him slightly differently. And he just became the best midfielder in the world, so they had to adhere to him slightly. But Shaka's not likely to be that player, and I don't want to make it a time discussion because it's not. He has a perception where he doesn't get any benefit of the doubt. We suffer for it, and for me, I think it's, uh, I'm not sure it's surmountable, shall we say, you know, and I don't think it's about talent, his attitude, his value, his leadership within the group. The coaches all love him, very popular. I hear he's the hardest trainer at the club. He breaks all the number records, but the referees hate him. As soon as he makes a tackle, we're, we're done. Why? And that's, yeah. that's a problem. That's and and a the referees problem. hate him. But also, like, let, let's be clear, right? Like, the big turning radius, the slowness of turning, the, the lack of athleticism, the defensive technique. I mean, like, there are things very good about Shaka, and there are things less good about Shaka. And so the question is very simple in my mind. Set aside all of these side conversations. Can we, can we upgrade this squad? And you start to look, and you say, we upgraded right back. Left back's great. Center backs look good. Keeper looks good. Thomas Party finally ascending to the level we hoped, and we've got Sambi Lakanga, who looks like the future at that role. And we've got unbelievable wide forwards who are young and getting better, and we're in the market for a striker. And then you look at Granite Shaka at 29, going on 30, and we've had him many, many years, and we know what he does well, and we know what he doesn't do well. And you just, that looks like a position you can improve. And I think the Benjamin White, David Luiz comparison is apt in the sense that everyone thought David Luiz was crucial until we just went out and got a player who did a lot of the things Luiz did without any of the silly nonsense. And suddenly spend, you say, it works. It just works. But you have to spend 50 million quid on him. Well, we may have to spend 50 million to get a better central midfielder than Granit Xhaka. I full, Clive, I fully accept that. Yeah. I fully accept. I'm not saying you're going to find it for £1.90 at Tesco. You know? but, yeah, but I think it's a shame. That the David Luiz contract situation played into the opportunity and the challenge with well, well, Chaka, to be fair, the Shaka contract situation could have played into our. I mean, 
not to relitigate that, but no, no, no. I think that's very could have gone to Roma this summer. <laughs> well, he, we could have done a lot of things, but once you decide to have Chaka, you need to have Chaka. You don't yeah. kind of yeah. you don't yeah. have him half in your team. No, you can't buy an, a, a midfielder starting ahead of Chaka. I, look, I I get that. I'm just it, saying it, the time is tricky. Come. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, just on paper, yes. There's a massive upgrade opportunity uh, sure. for for a number of reasons, but. It's it's going to be tricky because you got to. He's such a big factor, and he's. Yes, know. I think you'd have to move him this summer. Like I, I agree that's with fine. you. That that's tricky. Uh, uh, maybe maybe he's open to it. Maybe yeah. when we get to the summer, it's time for him. It's time. It's a win-win. We've had a good run, guys. Yeah. Or an I, okay, yeah, run. that no could okay easily run, happen. <laughs> as, as you as you were talking and describing him and his skill set, I can give you another player that sounds very similar to him in Eric Dyer, for example. He's, he's led and footed, he's strong, plays in centre midfield at the back door there, makes lots of big tackles. He's not perceived in the same way. You know, I think sometimes you just can't change your perception. You just can't. And I think he's damaging us now. It, it really is. And by the way, the contract thing, don't get help about that. That's just a, that is just an option. He just signed an option that was available to him to extend him, which protects, a, protects us contract-wise, right. value-wise. So... I'm talking summer, more that we could have. We had someone that was willing to take him. Granted, maybe for an yeah, amount of money. Only, only for a set, only for a set of tracksuits and balls. I get right? it. Yeah, not I enough. Not enough money, right? So for somebody that ripped it up in the Euros, so that's Jose taking the Mickey basically, and Arsenal within their rights. They felt at this stage of the project they needed him. And by the way, we do. He's an. Uh, he's an. Imp- that, that's the part I think that breaks people's brains. It can be true. The Granite Shack is an important, a crucially important part of this squad as it's currently constructed, much in the same way that Louise was a crucial spot, a part of the squad as it was constructed last season, and also true that it's time to take that step up. Okay, look, I, I think that's enough of that. Um, the fact is we're not going to have Granite Shack for the next couple of games, which the irony at the end of all this conversation is that's a big, big loss. Um, maybe we will get a midfielder in, I still think the idea, if the Derby was played on Sunday, that a midfielder who we get between Thursday and Sunday is going to come start the Derby is still probably not ideal, although with no offense intended, maybe more ideal than Charlie Patino. Let's, so we do know that the club has asked for a postponement, and I think there's a lot of pressure on the league to do this. Clive, just quickly on the postponement thing, like you could argue of every club in the league, no one was more hard done by than Arsenal not getting a postponement on opening night. And I think if the situation then had been like what it is now, where games are being postponed left and right, and the rules have gotten more liberal and abused, Arsenal would have gotten that postponement. But we didn't. Those three points, you never know how important they could wind up being. They also plunged us sort of into crisis ahead of a couple of very uh, tricky fixtures that followed. Thankfully, we came out of that crisis. But I think there's a lot of pressure now. The rules were manipulated by Liverpool to our detriment in the League Cup. We didn't get the postponement on opening night. It kind of feels like English football owes us one this time. So knowing them, uh, they will announce that the kickoff of the Derby is tonight in 10 minutes. But I'm curious, I mean, do you think we are likely to get the postponement and that there's sort of some credit we've logged in the bank where we're kind of owed this one now? I think Liverpool have opened the door because the reasons they had for postponing were African nations, injuries, and COVID. And the COVID didn't turn out to be that much and maybe the Kobe is not that much for us you know um but we have got injuries and we have got african nations so we've got there is a precedent there um 
I do think from a COVID perspective, the Brentford game was the one where we should have had a postponement. But no way were they going to stop the flagship opening game of the Premier League on a Friday night and the world watching. There's no way they're going to give us that. So they basically danced on our graves that night and had fun at our expense. And we were not in any way prepared for that game, right? And we got smashed live on TV. The same thing concerned about the game on Sunday, actually. is Sky's flagship game in the afternoon. They're going to want this game on. But we're, we are not in shape for it. And then you could say, if you want to argue and say, well, look, you knew about African nations. Um, but the COVID scenarios and various injuries that have been brought about have created a scenario where we have got a good case to get the game called off. How do I feel about it? Well, Spurs got people missing. We've got lots missing. If you win the game on Sunday, if it goes ahead, I won't care. But if you lose it, we'll, we'll be having a massive post-mortem about preparation. Could we have planned for this better? Did we need to let this player go on loan? All this will come up. It's just not necessary. We've got loads of schedule room later in the season when COVID will hopefully settle down, when the temperature goes up, etc. I think it makes sense from our perspective, but I'm, I'm not sure how Spurs feel. I'm, I bet they may be slightly angry, if I'm honest. So we'll see. Yeah. Paul, how do you feel about that? Um, I just think we've got to go balls out to get it postponed. I think we've earned all the credit in the bank. Anybody, this is not like one of your dodgy Liverpool things. Anybody can see we're threadbare, right? Um, uh, they'll have seen the the Anfield game. They'll have seen the injuries. They'll have seen where we have no midfield. Um, uh, like we've got a cup game next week in the middle of the week. We've got Burnley the next weekend. I mean, it, it's getting ridiculous. And I think it's clearly ridiculous. And I think it's an easy call. I think, uh, you know, if you, we need to push it over the line by taking a baseball bat to Pablo Mari and one or two others. Uh, you know, you need two goalkeepers. Maybe we take, do well, a Tanya Harding. You just use Liverpool's testing lab. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, take Leno out. Like, there's probably one, there's probably one player we need to take out to, to make it a guaranteed thing. But I think the fact that we've been so reticent about doing this and now we've said uh, we need the, it to be called off. I think we know, my guess is we know what we're doing. We haven't, if it was 50-50, we wouldn't, wouldn't really be doing this because it's, it's bad, bad mojo, bad mentality to ask for it to be called off and then find out it's still on. I saw Sammy Mockbell saying we've, We've asked for postponement and that Spurs are very unhappy. So that's great. Or angry, he said. So that's great. This will be a, a twofer. Um, and honestly, I want to play the North London Derby when we have a proper midfield and a proper team. I think we can take them then as well. And like the, putting this on, I don't think it'll, it'll look... I know they want it for the ratings, but I don't think this looks particularly good for the Premier League if they force us to play... And we're like, we're pushing out the tea lady to partner Sambi in midfield. It's not going to look, it's going to look wrong, unfair, uh, biased. We got the Brentford situation uh, from earlier in the season that we haven't, we haven't milked, but other people, uh, third parties have said, you know, that doesn't look very fair. 
Um, so I think we've got a lot in our court, and the fact that we went for it means it'll get called off, and I think that's a good thing. I hope so. Can yeah. I just say one more thing, Annie? I think no. around the COVID- <laughs> sorry, Matt. around the COVID side of things, obviously it affects people in different ways. Um, health information is, is is deemed highly confidential, so they don't always share that. So we don't always know. We don't always know. Someone may be maybe sort of negative, but still recovering. And I think that's a key thing. And some people are asymptomatic. So although we may not have many positive cases, we could still have COVID illnesses that are not allowing people to train and effectively be part of the group. So I think there's more to this than meets the eye. I don't think Arsenal are built in a way where they would do anything underhand. In fact, we're the opposite. We we do things with individuals and players like Maitland-Niles and, and Balogun to make sure we look after their careers. We get it wrong sometimes, but we, sometimes we put the people first a lot more than we do the club, per se. And I, and I think, let's see how this develops. I think it makes sense. It just feels that way to me. It's a game we all look forward to the most, but I just think it makes sense. Even though we're both weak, it just makes sense. Let's get the product right and get this thing scheduled appropriately. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, I guess the final question, though, is let, let's say that the Premier League does the unthinkable and completely screws Arsenal. I, I know, probably wouldn't happen. Hard to envision that. But, Paul, I, I, don't, I don't know who we put out there. And, I mean, look, there's a part of me that says if Shaka wasn't suspended, I'd want the game to go forward because I do like the idea of playing them without Son. I mean, any data you dig into shows that Son has been their best player this season, that without him, they, they struggle to progress the ball, they struggle to create chances. I mean, Kane has been a bit better since Conte came in, but like their midfield is atrocious, they're easy to press. But without Shaka, you're really in the land of like Lakanga and Shrug because we don't know if Smith Rowe is available, we don't know if Odegaard is available. Um, so I don't know. If the game goes ahead Sunday, what is your just off-the-wall guess at what the heck we do? I mean, the big question will be midfield and who do you put be- beside Sambi? And we don't, like, we don't have anybody. You could pull White into midfield but and play holding there um, is the only plausible alternative. Uh, if Smith Rowe's fit, you could play him there, but that's not a good, like, that is not a good midfield, Sambi plus Smith Rowe as your midfield like there's lots of you can put all sorts of players there but none of them make any sense uh if i had to pick i like there's nobody good um probably ben white um because he has the skills the tools even though he rarely plays there but it'd be ugly it'd be bad and you're weak you now have two weak areas of the pitch you've uh uh, you've what about crazy shit? What, what about like Tierney in midfield and Tavares at left back? I mean, like, what oh, about no. really getting off the wall? I don't you know? think Tierney's super uh, technical side to like. He's not very midfieldy. He's a very vertical player. Uh, he's he uses his game well. I just don't mm. think he's super comfortable. Uh, and like the whole, it's like a different game. You see the game totally differently. I don't think. There's almost no player you're doing a favor for. Uh, I'd almost prefer to see a Lacazette beside. Like, Lacazette's just a very smart player. All right, here's my wild card. 
if it, if you won't let me play Ramsdale in midfield because that would be just wild and great and I I'd want to it. see it. I would love it. Yes, yeah, it would be absolutely wonderful and it would probably work great for reasons we can't even comprehend. No one can explain. No, Mm-mm. I'd go with Lacazette because he's super clever, technically strong, holds onto the ball, physical. Lacazette's your man. Isn't Saka sort of in that same? I mean, you're you're really getting off the wall, and I get it because we just don't have a lot available to us. I, I'd honestly go Lacazette ahead of anybody else you're going to throw at me, apart from Ben White. We need him in the back line. So we got we we got a problem, right? So we lost. <laughs> you're Tommy, <not> kidding. <laughs> Tommy Tommy Asu is potentially injured. Cedric got injured last night, and Chambers got injured at the end of the game last night. So right, Ramsdale, so, it right back. So we, we've, got, we've got a problem. We have a problem there, shall we say. Right? So it may only be short term, but that's where we are right now. When you play on a Thursday night, you don't fly back till Friday, and you assess your team on Friday afternoon. There's not a lot of recovery time to, to Sunday. right? So that's, that's a problem. In midfield, we know the score with all the people who are out and all suspended. So we're talking about children playing in there with action men in the back pocket. That's not going to work. And then, so you might have to pull back strikers into midfield like we did last night. And of course, we go to our striker depth where we'd loan somebody out, potentially going to be selling um, Pablo Marie, for example. Um, Kalashnik is talking to Marseille. And so we have deals on the table for players that potentially we don't want to play because money is at, at risk. You know, so, and our backup strikers are in the African nations, right? So. And I did call the Bamiyang a backup striker, but you know what I mean. So we have a massive problem. So everything is staring at this to say, this is not the best time to play a £80 million game, potentially, you know, because there's a lot of money on that fourth place. So if I'm the league, uh, if I don't want to get sued, I'd, I'd call it off. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, there is an alternative that, none of us have proposed like Tottenham get battered everywhere they go. Shouldn't they just give us a three nil victory and a Tottenham forfeit? That feels like the best outcome. It is a shame because I, I got to tell you, like I think our best 11 versus their best 11. We're more than a match for them, even at their place. I know it's a Derby. So quote unquote form goes out the window. I just think we play better football. I think we're a better team right now. The, The sad thing, the thing that hurts is not only did we not get the points against city, that we deserved, that the performance deserved. We we just, from that moment, you know, the, Liverpool getting the fixtures changed and players being out with COVID and with injuries, like, it could be a long time before we sort of get the band back together and get to see a performance like that. And I, I just, I hate the idea of going into the Derby, having to cobble together some random midfield, you know, goalkeepers playing right back and strikers playing midfield. And it just, it does not seem like justice. So hopefully the Premier League does the right thing, which of course they will not do. I I think we need to start a campaign, justice for Arsenal. Justice for Arsenal. We are living in a moment where justice is a priority and justice for Arsenal should be one of those priorities. And hopefully we'll see some justice for Arsenal, which leads to some injustice for Spurs, because that would be great. So let's leave it there. We'll see what happens. Um, We may have, you know, an instant reaction on Sunday, or we may not, but we'll definitely have a pod on Monday as life rolls on. Paul's on Twitter, pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name is Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. I'm going to do the outro, even though we don't know what's going to happen. Hopefully, we can talk to you after Arsenal 10 postponement nil. But for now, we will say we love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10 Spurs nil. No.